Hello everybody, this is your host, Mason, aka Mace Chill. And I'm Wyatt Ross, aka Nothing. So welcome to a very special episode of what I'm hoping will be a very special uh, type of show on our channel. It's our first podcast. Now, uh, if you're an audio listener, then you're probably listening to this on Spotify, hopefully. So, uh, e- so maybe if iTunes, want- if we could ever aspire to be that high. True that. Either way, uh, I don't think there's actually a system on Spotify to like comment. So if you want to comment, then feel free to uh, email me. My email is chillmace at gmail.com. Uh, I know, very original. And if you're doing this, because most likely this will go onto YouTube first. Uh, yeah, this is a new thing we're trying. Uh, the purpose of this podcast is to go over fictional worlds, uh, you know, and any fictional world, really, whether it's games, uh, movies, you know, books, all of it. We're going to go over all of them from Tolkien to Doctor Who, you know, we're just going to go over them all because Dr. Seuss, yeah, Dr. Seuss, hey, we might on uh we, we very much <laughs> on like a bad day when we're just like absolutely struggling to find some new world to peer into we're going like, to dr Seuss. it'll probably be like an april fool's thing so today we'll be talking about the wide wide world of dr seuss but not today today we will be, but not today we will be talking about the wizarding world of harry potter This is Chill Sages, delivering you funny commentary on fiction with your hosts, Mace Chill and Plague987. If you would like to contact us, please do it at chillmace at gmail.com. Alright, so uh, the stuff we'll be going over are... So we'll try, since this is the first video, we're going to try to condense it all into this video. So... Naturally, when we go into heavier stuff, it'll, you know, there'll be more parts following along with that video so we can do it justice. But um, we'll condense this one and try to get the main points. So we're going to be talking about some of, you know, prophecies because those are a big part of the uh, Wizarding World. Uh, we're going to be talking about the characters, event, you know, special events, magic systems. And of course, the type like of. Hi- no, okay. Oh, sorry. I was why? about to say magic system. <laughs> Sorry, Wyatt. Because I want to feel like I'm included in this, man. You're definitely included. Uh, actually, it's ju- I'm going to... Uh, rec- it's just going to be you talking for the next half hour. No, not half hour. It's going to be you talking for the next hour, and I'm just kind of sitting here in the corner. just. No, uh, you'll, you'll talk, but I'll listen to you, and then I'll, I'll just record over you with my voice, and I'll be ta- talking to myself. You, I would... I Then I would no longer <laughs> welcome myself onto your show he'd no longer welcome himself that's something people say tell us about the uh quotidian life of the uh sort of duality well yeah it's quotidian uh of the duality that is i doubt you even know what quotidian means it means the day-to-day <laughs> okay okay you must have just looked it up for the show huh no i learned it in my i learned it in my theater class actually but um Typical theater student, I gotta tell you. But yeah, tell us about the day-to-day life that is uh, the du- kind of duality of, you know, one side yeah. of, you know, the Wizarding World 
slash the muggle world which is or the uh mundane non-magical world for those who may not know so in in jk in jk rowling's um world uh there is a there is a split between two kinds of people there's wizards and muggles for wizards they live pretty secluded to themselves through magic or literal distance away from muggles and muggles being just regular people at least in england they call them muggles in america they call them just nomadges and um nomadges rarely have an inkling that wizards actually do exist they mostly exist in just folklore and in um the backs of the minds of everyone in halloween at least and wizards they try to they try to live among themselves enjoy their magic and just try to live normal lives like muggles often do but they don't interact with the muggles due to certain laws and just um just wanting to avoid things that may have happened before such as like the salem witch trials and stuff like that where muggles often didn't react very well to wizards and in this one very in very in this one time span between i believe like 1980s i think it started am i right um what are you talking about you just started talking for for the for the harry potter plot line oh yeah 1980s okay and in the 19 1980s uh there was set off one of the biggest events in the wizarding world ever to be seen by both muggle and man or both <laughs> it was one of the biggest events to be seen by both wizard and muggle all right um actually i would interject saying that i believe that event actually would uh have taken place at least from what we see in movies a lot um earlier back in the 19 i believe it's like the 1920s back when newt's commander was uh walking around in his visit to uh new york because it when that took place that was almost the, a breach between the magical um the magical world and the non-magical world because what we see in the uh movies uh and read in the screenplay because i have this because i like stuff like that um we see you know the actual exposure of it and we have um i believe it's the mayor's son you know working with uh well-known witch hunting uh i want to say i want to say cult but uh just a witch hunting family kind of which is its own go which is his own type of lore like a, like like a movement more or less yeah it's kind of like witch a hunting movement. movement that mainly involved his family yeah which uh so and it kind of you know so magic kind of got out and thanks and thanks to Newt's commander through the uses of his beast and uh an oblivious sort of potion which is uh sort of like a mind erasing type potion think uh men in black thanks to that there was no big uh <laughs> Thanks to that, it was reversed, and you know nobody. Just really liquid remembered. neuralizer. Yeah, it's it was literally just liquid neuralizer. Liquid neuralizer, otherwise known as alcohol. Speaking of events, uh, oh, but you you say that in Newt Scamander's case that mm -hmm. uh, there was almost a breach between the Wizarding World and the 
muggle world and that would be considered a bigger event than what would what would follow which is the um which is in the more of the 1980s well but yeah i would say that i would say that what happened later on was bigger because there was a breach and there was a breach that basically changed the world well not really in fact what happened because we got to remember in um the only p the only uh places that was really affected by the things that were happening in the 1980s was really europe northern or western europe like in every like you know america didn't have a uh, didn't have a Voldemort problem, you know. Brazil didn't have a Voldemort problem. Paris, I believe, did, but um, again, that's mainly a part of Western Europe. It's uh, but so so you're saying, now oh, Europe doesn't matter. We can lose Europe anytime, any day. <laughs> but yeah, so Fantastic, nah, because it has Dumbledore. But uh, but Fantastic Beasts. More. But yeah, not more. <laughs> uh, but Fantastic Beasts, rather, we see a sort of international. Well, you know, that's heck. That's World War One, uh, World War One, World War Two time, uh, World War Two era, and we actually see, you know, with Grindelwald and all that, he like, you know, he causes the world to kind of throw into uh, go into disarray. You know, he causes worldwide chaos, a worldwide movement of dark wizards, and we in the movies. He's been to America, he's been to Paris, and in the next movie he's going into Brazil. So he's going back into over to the Americas. So it's, you know, he's doing things that are affecting everybody on a global scale. And he's using, from what we see, I believe he's gonna try to use the mask or maybe even initiate World War II because of just what we've seen um, in order to kind of further his goals. So yeah, I would still say that. And what would you say? What would you say that Grindelwald's goals were? Well, his goals are evident. He says it all the time. I don't know if this is maybe a classic case of misdirection, but so far his goals are um, seem to be he wants to subjugate non-magical people. Subjugation of non-magical that does, and that does kind of coincide with what World War II was. Yes, the subjugating of non-magical people, the Jews. <laughs> <laughs> the most the, the, le the least the least magical people of all but um hey i i think one could make a case about those but i'm not gonna be that one because i really don't want to delve don't, into don't, don't, world war ii politics but um <laughs> but yeah so yeah i would argue that uh fantastic beast still tells a just a bigger wider scale I mean, because again, Voldemort's bad, and I'd say, yeah, he's definitely badder than, um, than Grindelwald. Yes, that is a word. He just does, but he just doesn't do it. He, he's just not as much as a global threat. I can really see people, um, it just didn't reach his hand. Voldemort just, I can see what you're saying. He stayed too Voldemort close didn't to really home. reach his hand. Yeah, he didn't reach his hand out far enough. I think it's because the reason Voldemort stayed at home, stayed more close to home, was because his problem was closer to home his, like the main problem to his power was closer to home which was dumbledore and that's and also he, needed, true. He, he knew he needed to get rid of that first before he'd be able to do anything else well we also got to remember and this is one of the things i think is more of a 
outside step approach, but sometimes that is the only answer. We don't really have, other than some Pottermore, well, which are now uh, Wizarding World passages and certain articles or whatever, we don't really have a number of, you know, information of what took place surrounding what took what Voldemort really did other than what we see in the books and beyond that you know we don't hear really anything that would occur after the um the the uh you know tale of harry potter all of what we get is typically right is typically either right before or further in the past and so it could be very well that they it could be very well that there were multiple countries affected by it but we wouldn't know. And I feel like someone could, you know, just as well make an argument. Like, let's say they go to America and it's like, oh, well, yeah, we thought he was a big threat. But then one day he just stopped, you know, someone, you know, someone defeated him. They might not even know about who Harry Potter really is, because I mean, I doubt that. But because, you know, Dumbledore was well known everywhere. So all right. So all we've been doing right now, all we've been doing right now is just looking at like the the broad scale of the, what these um, uh, the broad scale of what these antagonists have been doing in the early earlier half of the 20th century and the latter half of the 20th century. Let's see. First, let's go into what made Grindelwald, which was the Fantastic Beasts um, antagonist. So what made Grindelwald? Well, we know that Grindelwald started out in Durmstrang, uh, which was, uh, it's sort of like, I believe it's the Russian, I believe. But I believe it's sort of like the Russian um, Academy for Magic. Uh, I don't want to I think you're right. It's either, it's either Russia or I think it may have been Bul Middle East. It's like Bulgarian uh, yeah, it's or Bulgaria, something like that. It? Yeah, it's something like that. And... Um, was it now it's they it's not like one of those dark magic schools though it is very often seen like that just because some of their morales and all that at the school are a bit looser and mainly it's because of the headmaster who was himself a former uh, death eater which were uh the posse of voldemort but uh before then it was just uh it was just a school like any other really and grindelwald was one of the uh, attendees of course due to just due to certain actions he did at school some that are explained like uh, he vandalized uh, part of property and you know other actions which are more implied uh, and, and a bit darker he was uh, eventually expelled and so he went back to live with uh, one with his aunt I believe his great aunt or his aunt in Godric's Hollow, which happens to be the place where Dumbledore is from. And uh, him and Dumbledore uh, grow a relationship and they end up, you know, they end up becoming good friends, but their ideals are a bit more, tend to go towards the extremist side because they both believe, they both believe that because they have great power and because wizards in general have great power, Grindelwald sees that though and he asks why are we hiding you know why are we in the shadows we have this great power and yet we pretty much live under them we conform everything to their schedules to hiding stuff like that just so they can't see us so he's thinking we have the power we're able to you know really we could do some real good but of course we can only do real good 
if we're in charge because he also believes in the so would you would you say then that grindelwald and uh dumbledore are kind of mirrors for, uh, mirror or mirror each other just one goes or deviates in one direction while the other deviates in the other direction well no because for a long time they're the exact same dumbledore believes exactly what uh grindelwald pretty <laughs> grindelwald believes pretty much and so they're doing the exact same it isn't until the death of dumbledore's sister ariana which you know we don't really know who really caused it but dumbledore blames himself it isn't until that that Dumbledore starts seeing a bit more respect for those who may not be as powerful. At least what I think. He doesn't go into full detail about it, but I believe it can be surmised from the fact that, you know, up until that point, he's perfectly fine with doing whatever. Then suddenly Ariana, who is sort of ma uh, magically, um, what would be the right word? Magically... Oh man, I'm really trying to challenge. There it is. Magically yeah, challenged. Okay. I was about to say challenge, but I didn't know if that's what you were going for. Yeah, magically challenged. Not in that she can't do magic, but that it's sort of she's scared of it for, um, you know, for reasons of her past. You know, she doesn't use magic. And because of that, it was kind of uh, the reason why it was so easy for a fight when a fight broke out between Dumbledore, Grindelwald, and Dumbledore's brother, Aberforth. She died. And so now we're not really sure. It doesn't really give huge specifications about how she died in the text. It just says like something happened. Some people say it agitated her, like just her powers, you know, and uh, it caused her to just kind of melt down. We see more about that in the uh, in the Obscurus that is talked about in uh, Fantastic Beasts. So that might have been a thing. It might have killed her because we know it has the power to do that. A fly. Some people say, uh, you know, a spell flew and hit her. It could be anything. But what we know is she died, and Dumbledore took it to heart. And so we, what he ended up doing was, I think, he really started taking a value to people who just are not as powerful as he is. And so that's really when the deviation came, uh, came about, and he started. Um, so that's what I was that. saying is like, I'm just, I wasn't saying like at that time, I was saying in general, oh, yeah. was Dumbledore and Grindelwald both very similar. Now, when we say this, um, we could safely assume that they were both zealots for like wizardry at the time. Yeah. Would you describe them as zealots? Uh at the time, I, I guess I would uh, describe some of their ideas as a bit zealotous. Zealot extremists, um, they were definitely far on their side at the hmm. time. And um, it was and this... And so what, what spurred on, but what spurred on Grindelwald to finally just try to go after muggles? Well, he'd always been doing it. But the thing is, Grindelwald, and um, we're seeing this play out now. So, it, you know, this is really what's going to cause it to be... Uh, I think we're going to go deeper in the next movie. But um, Grindelwald was a bit smarter than Voldemort. Grindelwald was a master of subtlety. He um, and, you know, Voldemort was already pretty subtle. But, uh, you know, in his point, that part of his plan was to make sure that nobody knew of his return. You know, sort of, uh, you know, the greatest trick that the devil ever played was that he didn't exist at all. And so which is played on heavily in, I believe it is the Order of the Phoenix. Yeah. But um, Grindelwald 
you know, he's using the last part of the 1800s and the first part of the uh, 1900s to really set up like his plan, his order, all that. And we really see it come to fruition in this last movie in Paris because he's talking in that mausoleum and he's got thousands of British wizards just sitting around. And he's smart. It's not like, you know, it's not like he's out uh, outwardly breaking the law because when the, you know, when the cops come in and try to, um, you know, apprehend him, they can't do anything. He's got them in a position where they can't really do anything because the moment they shoot a spell or do anything and try, they they then start provoking him. In which case, what he does in a retaliation is not illegal. And so though they're trying, you know, so it's kind of how, it, you know, he knows the law. He fully knows what he's doing. So it makes sense why it's kind of taken so long for him to go from like talking about it to up there because he's trying, he's covering his bases. Now, when, now we see his, we see his first con, or we see the first um, real resistance to him and the first real atrocities that he committed. For a majority of his life, he had committed atrocities such as killing muggles, right? Um, that, so far as I've seen, is unclear. It's unclear up until... Unclear up until recently before the um the fantastic beast movies okay exactly and that's what i was that's what i was trying to get at is we really start seeing his we really start seeing like the the brunt of his power when come when come um uh what, what was his name again when come who newt the protagonist newt's commander okay uh we saw a brunt of his powers when come Newt's, Newt's commander into the picture and Newt's commander in the Fantastic Beasts in, in just the general story arc of the Fantastic Beasts was a to plainly put it a wizarding zoologist he's a magizoologist magizoologist and he spent his in, he spent a majority of his life not only studying uh, magical magical creatures he also spent a large time protecting those in which most deemed uh, unsafe and were hunted out were hunted very very fervently by those who didn't like them and their stories finally clash when newt scamander runs in new york yeah um yes at the from what we're and we're led to believe it was not of his own kind of will. He was, um, it was pretty much due to the interference of Dumbledore. Oh, he, oh, excuse me. So he was brought into New York by Dumbledore. Yes, he, uh, lear he learned of a, he says this in the, uh, first movie. He learned of a specific type of creature that was being bred in New York or I don't, it might've been New York. It was being bred in America. And from what he says in the second movie, he uh, he comes over and he says, I know he talks to Dumbledore. He's like, I know you you um, sent me that information about this uh, about this creature trying to get me to New York on purpose. And we see that I guess that would make sense. That would make sense because when he went into New York and when he tried to find this breeder of this specific, oh, excuse me, when he tried to find the breeder of this 
specific creature, he was only apprehended by the police because breeding magical creatures in America is illegal. Yeah, well, that that is why he was captured, because that's exactly what uh, Porpentina told him. And that's what that's what led um, that's what led Scamander to believe that um, Dumbledore was leading him in. And well, it was more do you so think this fact, was? I believe it was more so of the fact that you know he's there, and it just so happens that Grindelwald, who is a well-known adversary of Dumbledore, also happens to be there. I mean. I would I would assume that something happened. It, it's a there's a whole lot of stuff that happens because even the ministry is current. Well, in the uh, second movie, questions Newt Scamander, believing that he is in uh, cahoots with Dumbledore. Hmm. Newt's the only one who doesn't believe that he's in cohorts with Dumbledore, and even he falls in line at the end of the second movie. So, so for the, for the majority of it, Newt's like, eh, I don't really. I don't really mess with Dumbledore all that much. Well, he doesn't. And wanna... like everyone's like, yes, you do, yes, you do. Well, yeah, he doesn't want to pick a side in this whole thing. I guess that's because like the zealot, the the zealots of the Wizarding World, and the you know the, those who who fervently believe that we should co that wizards should coexist with Muggles. I guess that was kind of a a building a building rift between them at the time. Yeah. Well, there was a. It's always been sort of a rift since the sort of institute that they would have to be separate. But, um, yeah, there's definitely a rift between people who are hardcore wizarding zealots that believe they should rule and people who are fond of the peaceful coexist, uh, peaceful but, um, secret coexistence with them. You know, those are drawing lines in the sand. And Newt wants no part, really, in this whole power struggle. He just kind of wants to be left alone to do his research. But Dumbledore's leading him into New York kind of forced him to take a side. And we see, and a lot of people have talked about this. Uh, so I think we, I want to go into characters right now because I kind of want to streamline this. So we see Dumbledore do this a lot, especially in the most noted cases are in uh, the Harry Potter books, where Harry kind of doesn't want to be a part of this whole struggle. He kind of wants to just, because... At the beginning of the books, we see how bad his life, uh, how bad his uh, life is. Because at the beginning of every um, Harry Potter book, up until the last one, we sort of get to see a, you know, they, excuse me, start off at Privet Drive, where he is just being constantly berated by his, um, by his aunt and her family, and so we see, you know, when he gets to the Wizarding World, he kind of just wants to live as normal as a life that you know as any kid could lead even though he's in the wizarding world you know he doesn't want to do all these stuff he doesn't want to go on all these adventures he just wants to have a you know have a fun regular life however dumbledore so people who seem to actually like lo love him rather than the secluded isolated hatred that he felt at privet drive where which is where his basically his aunt and uncle imprisoned him exactly and um and dumbledore has the dual um, intent for Harry that up until he needs Harry to strike, he's going to, um, you know, he's sort of trying to protect Harry from this. Because, you know, we'll often see, so he often tells Harry, you know, don't do this, don't pursue this, don't go out, you know, virtually the whole don't be a hero, because you might die. But then it's almost like he, then it's almost like contradictory 
he'll instruct Harry specifically with information that could only ever cause him to do things that would cause that could cause his own death. For example, uh, he delivers the famous speech, help will always be offered at Hogwarts for those who need it or want it, depending on which version you listen to. We see him trying to give hints to Harry constantly about more dangerous stuff we can do. We see him around other people who are doing that because again, he's around Hagrid when Hagrid's being sent to the Chamber of Secrets and Hagrid tells him, if anybody wants to find anything out about anything, follow the spiders. That's all I'm gonna say, you know? And again, Dumbledore fully knows that Harry and Ron are under the invisibility cloak during that meeting. So, it you know, it's a bit contradictory. But and we don't really find out the extent of his plan into the last book when we find out that um, he's virtually been breeding Harry for the moment that he fights Voldemort, which is uh, it called it's called that's caused a lot of people to sort of dislike uh, Dumbledore, which is understandable because, you know, he um, but of course, I don't hold it just because logically what Dumbledore did is the best course of action. You know, a lot of people see it as, you know, he's endangering kid. He's doing that and doing that, which he is. But if you had a, but of course, as we see in uh, the prophecy, which we'll discuss later, if the only way to do something is by endangering a kid, most people will take the utilitarian approach. Not saying I always fall in line with that, but most people will take the utilitarian approach and, you know, do it for the greater good, which is another thing that of uh, Dumbledore's past because Dumbledore uh, used to, uh, Dumbledore and Grindelwald, a phrase they always used was for the greater good. And Dumbledore has not really left that. It's, it's a huge theme in uh, Deathly Hollows, which is the last book. Now, so now, now, when we're saying this, let's, let's get on to the antagonist that spurred on the, um, the necessity of Dumbledore to prepare uh, Harry for so, you know, basically a death match. So Voldemort, who I believe we'll see in the coming Fantastic Beast movies, Voldemort is called one of the darkest wizards ever. He's said by Hagrid to have gone as bad as a wizard could possibly go. In fact, some people don't even believe it was possible for him to die, which they might have been right, because they don't believe he had a, enough human in him. And, um... This kind of fits well with uh, there's nothing. There's basically nothing to die yeah, at that point. And there, this fits well with sort of the prophecy because the reason why uh, only Harry could really challenge Voldemort is because according to a prophecy made by Sybil Trelawney, uh, who is a seer and a professor of divination at Hogwarts, you know, Voldemort would mark his uh would mark a child as his equal and you know only they you know and it's sort of per the way prophecies go in the harry potter world is that um you get all you get sort of uh, a background you get up until the event and then the event can go one of two ways or one of any you know the ways that are uh named and so what it does in this case is that it talks about how the child will be chosen you know, what will sort of be the uh, calling card of who, who this child is. And then finally, they 
only one of those two can kill each other. Nobody else will really be able to do it until that battle, which has actually led some people to believe that Harry is now immortal because they believe they took they take the um, language seriously that, um, you know, that only those two people could kill each other. So we don't know. Maybe it's true. I don't hold much water to that, but it's a fun theory. Now, when looking at the um, the the childhood of both Harry and Harry and Voldemort, which which her excuse me, Voldemort, who was also known as Tom Riddle when he was younger, people find a lot of similarities in their growing up. They're both orphaned, and they're both they're both orphaned. They were both isolated, very harshly. Um, it, the only problem is. Don uh, Voldemort took it in took it in the expected way. Psych when you when you look at it through a psychoanalytic lens, Voldemort took the isolation and the orf the orphan complex that many many orphans do get, which is feeling like they were not loved when when they were given away. Well, but there, there are some differences in um in what you're saying. For example. The isolation that Voldemort uh, felt was pretty self-inflicted. Yeah, that's, it wasn't that's that what I was about. He wasn't I isolated was, I, in the way that Harry was. I was going to bring that up. Uh, don't uh, Voldemort? That's that's one of the big differences between Harry's and Voldemort's. Voldemort, he acts more along the lines of someone who's been orphaned, which is they kind of isolate themselves, especially when they know they've been orphaned. When they know they've been orphaned, they will often act like this, which is they will isolate themselves they will feel like they're unloved and they just and in isolating themselves they end up making themselves feel worse whereas harry he didn't know he was orphaned at first yeah when, when he, like when he was when he was um he he was orphaned when he was a baby whereas tom riddle was knowingly given away true but of course tom also did not really know he didn't know who gave him away. so it's still the same there's also a difference i believe and i believe this is said i'm unsure it might be said in the wizarding world uh which is currently where a lot of the information on this stuff is uh held but i believe voldemort physically can't or literally i guess cannot feel love due to how he was conceived which was his mother who was known as all i'll put is she was known as haggard looking so if you've seen our if you've seen our assassin's creed uh let's play think tana or tona or however, however they pronounce Just think it tona from Valhalla's assassin's creed yeah but um she wasn't good looking however she saw a man whose name was tom riddle who was very attractive and so but he was also a muggle and so what she ends up doing is brewing a love potion that allow you know that kind of you know did what love potions typically do in any fantasy world and so you know they loved they consummated all of that they had a child whom she named tom riddle as well so tom riddle jr which is later would later become voldemort and then she decided because out of um i think this was while she was pregnant she decided out of a out of a real love for him that she would no longer keep him under the enchantment of a love potion so she dispelled it and 
he immediately broke up with her, which is, you know, only natural when you've yeah, been sort of hoodwinked into it. So no, no <laughs> one blazes the blame on Tom Riddle Sr. in this case. You've just, been, you've just been put into basically a trance to love this one very unattractive looking woman. And well, conventionally unattractive looking woman. Oh, and there were no conventions you, about that. She'd scare them all away. The when I first come out of that woman. trance, I'm not when I first come out of that trance, I'm not gonna be like, oh, I'm gonna stay with this lady. No, I'm getting out of there. Exactly. And so yeah, she ends up having the kid anyway. Uh and ends up giving it away to an orphanage, which is a to the know, chagrin of her family as well, because her family were very we're very well-known purists. Yeah. Or in other words, they, they they wanted to keep. We'll talk about they we'll, wanted, we'll talk about their yeah. family in a second. Um, I want to finish up with Voldemort. So yeah, Voldemort is given away to the orphanage, but he is so he is what's known as sort of an heir of Slytherin. Slytherin being not only one of the Hogwarts houses, but uh, the name of the found one of the founding members of Hogwarts, and he's one of the heirs very powerful family blood very powerful family line and even voldemort who is a half blood um that means that his family that means he's half magical like half magical line half muggle line um even he shows extreme and great power and the ability of parcel tongue which is the ability to uh speak to snakes and so or to speak the snake language and so he sort of um you know he discovers his magic in a completely different way than typical wizarding youths. He, you know, Voldemort describes that he actually, or Voldemort, Dumbledore describes that he actually sort of knew that he was able to do magic and he had been experimenting with it. He had been using it to get what he wanted, virtually as if he had already had some lessons on it. So like it was, you know, it was unprecedented. So Dumbledore knew from the beginning he was going to be great. But when he, you know, especially upon meeting him, he just didn't know exactly the meaning of his greatness. And so, um, which is alluded to by Ollivander. And so, yeah, essentially then what takes place is the, um, is he forms a band of Death Eaters while at Hogwarts. Then... So he, what, he, what he coined to be Death Eaters, which is basically just his followers. They were his cronies. And, um, and then he... Springs, exactly he springs kind of a reign of terror up until around the 1980s which marks the birth of harry potter uh voldemort marks him as his equal and then disappears due to a force which we'll describe later and then voldemort ends up then you know the harry potter books happen he dies in the final one and after his all of his souls are all of his horcruxes are destroyed which again we'll talk about later and uh the wizarding world is saved for what is perceived to be the final time it would seem and so yeah another so another character i want to go on to real quick because she also kind of plays into the harry potter world well the harry potter part of the wizarding world greatly which is sybil trelawney the uh seer um she, Even though her, her part was very short-lived. It was, but it was instrumental to everything. Because without her, you know, nobody really would have known. We, we don't, we're not quite told the nature of prophecies, whether prophecy has to be told in order to happen, or whether it just happens on its own. So it's, it's just not something we're seeing. 
but um she's a seer she comes from a family of seers and she actually her i believe it's her great grandmother is cassandra which if any of you know greek uh, mythology and i assume you do because why wouldn't you only the coolest people come on know. only peasants would ever not know greek mythology oh. yes exactly um cassandra was the name of a seer that uh it was she had a curse on her and the curse was that she would always be able to predict the, fu the future but no one would believe her and professor trelawney you know she siphons that the gift had sort of been out of the family for a while up until her she says in which it is reignited now for most of the time she's kind of portrayed as sort of you know not legit like just a uh, a poser you know a fraud like she's making it all up typically until we find out in some of the books you know ever so often she actually tells a real prophecy and then we find out that she told harry potter's prophecy and you know and which tell us more stuff which we'll uh talk about later and so snape ends up when he's working for voldemort ends up hearing about said prophecy understanding the implications of it he runs off to tell voldemort and then runs off to tell dumbledore after he hears voldemort's true plans and so it's a um so yeah it's a huge thing she's instrumental but other than the fact that she's sort of a weirdo and not she's a seer but most of the time most of the time she's a fraud there's not really that much to her she's a definitely a a tertiary character and um, she and it's a, it's a very like she was her character was made for one singular purpose and that was it but it was a great purpose and so a lot of these characters are great even the minor ones um speaking of them i would like to talk about the the two other uh biggest other than harry obviously would be Hermione Granger and Ron Weasley. Uh, I'll talk about Hermione. You can talk about Ron. All right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So Hermione was actually you go on with Ron first because I believe he was the first one met. So go on with Ron. All right. So Ron Weasley was a um, he. I I'm sad to say I kind of I kind of relate to Ron Weasley on a personal level because his family oftentimes reminds me a lot of mine. Which was his family is very homely, to to say it to say it generously, they were all they're all very very closely at at a time they were all very closely knit, they were all um, very loving towards each other and just a very very much a family. So they all there was a lot of there was a lot of love there was a lot of kids, and it was just just the only the only problem that really was with this family is they were always just kind of tight on money but um as uh, uh as ron geared up for his first day at hogwarts he met harry potter now ron along with his family were very were, despite being very tight on money and stuff they were all their family was often known reason they were being they were often known was because of their very distinct features which was ginger hair freckles and they were all looked very similar to each other even the mother and the father but 
Sweet home Alabama. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not playing that. <laughs> but. <laughs> uh, but um, they were all. They're all. Uh, you know, a very, very happy family, despite you know the the lack of money. And which is already there, the most fan, uh, fantasy part of that world because no one's happy without money. Whoa, you cut out there. I cannot hear you. Say um, it again. I said, um, what is it? I said, that's the most fantastical part of uh, Harry Potter. The fact that they're happy without money because no one is. <laughs> of course, no one is, man. You can like uh, Harry Potter had like, you know, I know the second he got in, he had bank and he was he was so happy after that i know anyway sorry go on <laughs> <laughs> but um they're poor but they're happy um ron's father he worked at the ministry which is the basically the wizarding government in england in england um his mother was a stay-at-home mother she always took care of things around the house bill was the one who's he was always he's a curse breaker who was always kind of out and about out of the house uh, much older he, he, there was a large age gap between him and um ron there is also charlie he um he dealt a lot with dragons somehow kept all of his fingers no burns very lucky guy uh then there is percy percy he he has a much more heavy presence in most of the books he um he was known to be a much more uptight guy who always stuck right to the rules uh, much to the um, chagrin of most of the other, m most of everyone almost. Um, then there's Fred and George. They were the two playful twin, playful older twins of um, uh, Ron Weasley. And they, as you can see in the later on in the books, they didn't even finish high school. They immediately went on to or start whatever, a joke. Whatever you consider. Uh... Was it wizard? Oh, wizard! Wizard in the school. The disastrous, the disastrous school that was, or the disastrous few years that was uh, Harry Potter's um, education. Well, I'm just saying, like, I wouldn't know if that's called high school no, or or it's oh, primary no, no, no. school. Yeah, it is primary. It's like primary and secondary. At the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, school. Go on. And they didn't even they didn't even finish school. They. When they dropped out, went right to starting a business that took off immediately. Which just, you know, absolutely shows you no one actually really needs school. <laughs> that's but, what um, they say. That's true. And then there's um, Ron. He's, uh, He's second youngest. Ron. Ron. Which we'll get into in a little bit. He, he's the typical Weasley. Red and ginger hair. Lot of, lots of freckles, very, very boyish. Um, yeah, a boy. And then a, a single boy. Then the one little the one girl, which was Ginny. Ginny Weasley. Ginny Weasley. And she was she she is um, Generva, Gin I think her name. Her actual name's Generva. I believe so. I love his, I like his like four very very or five six very very uh, normal names then Geneva. Bill, Charlie, Percy, uh, Fred, George, Ron, and Geneva. <laughs> and uh, you could probably you could probably just look at how many kids they've had and just understand why they were always tight on money. <laughs> that yeah. <laughs> 
because the, that that's a lot to take care of. But finally, in the uh, in uh, George or Ron's, excuse me, in Ron's uh, on Ron's what? when Ron turned eleven, oh. he much like he much like um, Harry Potter went to the first year of Hogwarts, and they both met, they both. So describe Ron. Ron, he's 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 he. You could tell. He, excuse me. You could describe him as the typical, uh, well, not testosterone-filled. What kind of he was? He was very. He was just a boy. He was a typical he, boy. Yeah, typical, typical, uh, young boy. He was everything Harry wanted to be. Pretty much, even even with the entire family, because Harry had a blast with Ron's family. He did. He did. And Ron's family very very sweetly kind of just took him in as another child my favorite meme is the one where uh was it what's his name uh arthur weasley which is the dad comes into the house and he looks at all his kids eating and then he looks at harry's like who's this one and he's very and the meme's just like i love how he walks in and his first thought is like let's see this one doesn't have orange hair so he can't be <laughs> one of mine who is he <laughs> <laughs> it's just, just about it because it, that is kind of true it's like it's like looking up and looking at like a like a lineup of like little little piles of cumin then one of them just happens to be a peppercorn and it's like whoa who's this one that is uh, that was the straight you could have said anything you said cu cu cumin and peppercorn that was awesome i mean because harry has black hair doesn't he yeah yeah i hear but um but, but yeah but um and they they first where did they first meet again? Like, they uh, first it, met it, it, on uh, it, it, they first met in King's Cross on the platform right before they oh, hit yeah. platform nine and three quarters. And so basically, Ron Ron's family just kind of just kind of introduced him to the the first wave of the Wizarding World, which was finally actually going to the school. And going to the school involved something that not many people knew how to do. Least of all, Harry Potter. Well, not many Muggleborns knew how to do. Uh, Muggleborns, yeah. Especially with Muggleborns who didn't have any parents that actually, or guardians that actually cared about them. Yeah. So that, yeah. So that's pretty much Ron. He's pretty much just the archetypal um, boy. Uh, typical, I think, is the word. Or arc, yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure they both could be. Used. I don't mean to be a grammar Nazi on you. But yeah, um, Ginny, by the way, because it wasn't mentioned, is pretty much the, uh, I'll just say the typical, it's pretty much the typical, uh, what is it? Oh man, I couldn't, tomboy. Pretty much the typical yeah, tomboy. Because she, she did grow up with a lot of, Which, she did yeah. grow up with a lot of um, brothers, so it kind of makes sense. Exactly. She had, um, oh, was it like, six brothers yes she would have six brothers so that's a lot um then you have harry's other friend who he met not on uh not uh on the platform but rather on the train hermione granger hermione granger is our first example in the wizarding world or um you know in the first book at least of what is known as a muggle-born so different from a half-blood half-blood as you can assume like i said has half wizarding blood Muggleborn has zero wizarding blood um and they just happen to be magical out of nowhere they, they happen to be magical now there is i believe the explanation for this is that somewhere in their line there typically is a wizard but this wizard is what's known as a squib 
which means that they come from, you know, uh, magic parents, but have no magic of their own. And kind so, of what you would call not the opposite of a muggle-born. Exactly, and they typically marry into, they typically leave the wizarding world, marry into uh, non-magic, into the non-magic world, and then later their offspring produces magical powers. So Hermione Granger's, you know, ancestor was probably a wizard, but uh, Hermione is a very intelligent young lady. She, uh, very intelligent, but not actually greatly skilled, unless, except for in the men in mental aptitude. But yeah, she was, she was intelligent, just not not really. Um, how do you say? I wouldn't say clever. She couldn't app. She couldn't apply it. She was greatly yeah. clever. In fact, in fact, uh, she was t called by Remus Lupin the cleverest witch of her age, and so um, or of the it's, age. Just socially, socially, she she wasn't able to apply it. Yeah, she yeah, she was very socially awkward. She was it was hard for her to really uh, use some it. Not to say that she was bad with magic. She was great in it. The old, but um, she wasn't at Harry's level. And Harry to sum it up, to sum it up, she study was really it. A know it all. She was a know it and, all, and that's how she was portrayed. And that's how pretty much she was portrayed. And um, we don't really get a lot of information about her parents other than that they are Muggles. Um. She's, you know, like we said, she's smart. It's typically the classic group of the hero, the hero's best friend, and then uh, the smart one in the group that they pretty much rely on throughout the, all of the stories. Because pretty much in every story, they wouldn't have survived to the end without her. Uh, the first book, I believe it is, um, she kind of figures out her way through all of the uh, problems or through by problems i mean like all of the trials to get to the sorcerer's stone or philosopher's uh stone depending on if you read the british version uh in the chamber of secrets she pretty much figured out what the monster was and how to get to it uh and how to kill it even was it the third book she helped harry find the prisoner of azkaban the fourth book she uh the fourth book actually she wasn't as helpful which is which was great because it really it really allowed you to see Harry kind of use his own uh, reasoning, which was not half bad. The fifth book, she helped Harry form uh, Dumbledore's army. The sixth book, she oh, the sixth book, she was not her and Ron were not as prevalent because it dealt a lot with the relationship between Dumbledore and Harry. And in the final book she pretty much is instrumental in Harry getting back to Hogwarts and finishing off Vol Voldemort once and for all. And to be honest, she helped, she's pretty much been more of a help to Harry than Ron is. However, Ron is undoubtedly Harry's best friend and he provides the great uh, emotional support, even though he is uh, probably the least emotionally present character or not or aware character that's just to compliment his boyish nature because yeah. you know not a, most guys don't really know how to just like support him support emotionally to its fullest extent but they know how to do it to the point where you know it feels comfortable yeah so now we're gonna lightning round some characters just to get finished that um you have love interest we're only gonna go over the most important ones and detrimental to the story uh you have de um i was about to call him devil you have neville longbottom neville longbottom who is 
you know, he's at first given off to be the really cowardly, dumpy sort of character. Very, very clumsy. Very clumsy, just all around the antithesis actually of Harry Potter. And the reason why he's shown only not the, and the antithesis, but not antagonist towards him. Uh, and it's shown this yeah, way because he, he is seen to be really uh, the, what was it? He was known as the other Harry Potter. He could have been the other boy. He, him and Harry Potter have lots in common. In fact, his parents went insane trying to protect Harry and his family. And so it is, um, you know, so it's all tied together. And it's really traumatic to think about. It's like your parents literally went crazy trying to protect some other family. True, but that just goes to show how noble they were. And That's very true. And uh, then we see in, um, of course, in the final book, in fact, I, in the final like three books, we really start to see him really uh, fill out and grow in character and really grow in strength. We get Draco Malfoy, who is, I would say, the um, the mirror of Harry Potter. And it's actually said that this was on purpose because everything that Harry is good at, Malfoy is bad at. And everything Malfoy is good at, Harry is bad at. For example, Harry's great at Patronuses. Malfoy can't produce one. Malfoy's great at potions. Harry's can't. Excuse me, I'm burping a lot. Harry can't make one. So it's a lot yeah. of things. Um, was it some that come to present are? Um, Harry definitely to, struggled with the potions. Exactly. I'm trying to. Think oh, then again, it. though, then again, with um, with Snape being the being the way that he was, he wasn't doing Harry any favors. Well, it wasn't just Snape, though, because even in uh, when Slughorn came up, he was only good because of, well, Snape. <laughs> and <laughs> so... <laughs> That's true. That's, I never really thought of that. At first, Snape just kind of didn't do him any favors. Then he did do him favors just very indirectly. Snape's like alcohol. He's the uh, answer. He's the uh, beginner <laughs> and answer to all of life's problems. So, um... So yeah, then we have Luna Lovegood. Luna Lovegood, sort of the ditzy. She's actually sort of the antithesis of Hermione. Hermione's very logical, very reasoning, which even I'm like, you know, if I were if I was suddenly told I'm a wizard, there would be nothing I would not believe. I would be the most gullible wizard ever cuz I'd be like cuz I'd be shown in this world and the first thing, do you think the first thing I think is that can't happen? You think that's the why? You think that's the why Hermione was always very studied is because she wanted to make sure that never happened. Yeah, probably never happened again because she just had her mind blown. There are wizards, but um, but yeah, and so there's that. Uh, Luna Lovegood's very ditzy. She's for even for a wizard, she's pretty weird. Um, and so you, and it's not it's not even one of those things where it's like oh she's kind of she's misconstrued as weird even though they try to put that forward no she is very undoubtedly weird but it's a very redeeming quality in her because she's very good natured yeah she's even though she's like very like kind of floaty in her speech um very very her mind's just up in the clouds and even when it's down from the clouds it had stories to tell about the clouds that's the very type fun. of weird it was it, she was very fun but uh fun. but uh then there is also a great great boon and friend of harry in fact her knowledge becomes invaluable in the um in the battle of hogwarts so then we have to go then we go into snape snape's a very detrimental character 
um, a lot of the adult characters are detrimental to the story. Snape, specifically, he's the reason Harry was marked for pretty much marked as um, Voldemort's equal and pretty much marked for death. Because when he told the he told what he heard of the uh, prophecy, we know he did not hear the full, uh, you know, the full prophecy because Vold Dumbledore found out that he was listening and blasted him. But when he left, he said what he uh, knew, which pretty much said that, um, which pretty much noted who condemned Harry, but it could have condemned either of them, either him or either Harry or Neville, if Snape had stayed long enough to hear about it. But for the time being, Voldemort ended up hearing uh, the bit of the prophecy that Snape heard and selected Harry. And so then Snape had a heavy infatuation for, uh, in fact, one might even be able to call it love, depending on what one's um, definition of love is. That would be a very twisted definition of love if you ask me. Well, it could be love. It could also be obsession. It really depends. And we can go into that. We yeah, can, we can go into that later, but um, Snape, you know, then turns to Dumbledore as the only wizard who Voldemort is afraid of and tries to convince him to, you know, save Lily and to save Harry. And, well, to save Lily, but as a proxy, also save her family, even though he doesn't really Lily like her family. Thing. So, yeah. And so Snape throughout all the books is portrayed as pretty much oh, the wait, one to look Lily. Lily's uh, Harry's mother. You didn't you didn't specify that earlier. Uh, uh, yeah, sorry. But um, Snape's portrayed as typical, like, oh, he's obviously a bad guy. And of course, in all the books, Harry's always suspicious of him. And then usually the plot twist is, oh, Snape's actually been helping him out the entire year. Uh, so, you know, a lot of people don't like Snape. I'm going to be honest. This guy spent years, yeah, he spent years tormenting kids because of his past, which is kind of a douche thing to do. But he also spent, uh, you know, about seven years or longer protecting a kid who he hated, even if he hated him unreasonably. So that's still something. It's some redeeming quality. But, um, yeah, and then finally we find it out, you know, finally he kills Dumbledore, spoiler alert. Don't worry, there will be one at the beginning of this episode, hopefully, if I remember. He'll, uh, he, uh, kills Dumbledore, so everyone believes, oh, Snape really was betraying, really was a, you know, a snake. He really was going to betray Dumbledore. Uh, and then he's found out, then it's found out to all have been a part of Dumbledore's crazy crackpot plan. Uh. At, because at times it does, it really does seem like Dumbledore's on crack most of the time. He does, but... It works out in the end, so it's magical crack. Uh, <laughs> otherwise as known if as crack is never magical. <laughs> otherwise known as cocaine. <laughs> um, uh, but then they, then you have um, other than Snape, then you have he eventually but, turns out to not be traitor and yeah. gives his life for the cause. But after that, then you have um, what's her name, the the McGonagall. Okay. Yeah, McGonagall, which is their uh, trans. What is it? Transformations. Transfigurations. Transfigurations. The transfigurations teacher, meaning you know how to transform some things into other things, and she she's she's kind of portrayed as a um, just like a like a stern, stern 
basically she's the most teacher teacherly of all the teachers at hogwarts of all the teachers one can sum up her entire character personally in just the word in just the uh words tough but fair tough but fair teacher yeah she's pretty much tough but fair uh whereas uh snape is just tough uh <laughs> there ain't no fairness about him he's just yeah. tough uh she's one of the big uh teacher characters other than snape there aren't many except for the revolving cast of uh dark defense against the dark arts teachers um which, which is in the book it's noted for being very seeming seemingly to be a very cursed position um position people, because people only it, last a year there's only a, there's only it's which oddly kind of reminds me of my my baseball coach <laughs> uh, it's hilarious because I never knew this until after I got out of high school. Every, like it was even before I went into baseball at high school. Every single year, we had a different coach, mm. and it, it it was the most hilarious thing because I, I I read when I was reading Harry Potter. I read um, there there hasn't been a uh, teacher in the Defense Against Dark Arts position for any more than a year. I'm like. Oh, that sounds awfully familiar. Harry Potter music intensifies. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's like bass booted bass boosted. Then there's um So then there's uh oh what am I thinking? But by the way, each defense against the dark arts teacher did did the most in complimenting um the story of each book. Like yeah. each one had a very, very important role in each book yeah pretty much but they were able to keep it from getting stale because in the first book and pretty much a lot of the other ones the bad guy was the new defense against the dark arts teacher but they did a great job of not letting you expect it because um after the first two books because you have in the first book you have a downright evil defense against the dark arts teacher in the second book you have just a dumb not again uh that was uh, uh professor quirrell Oh yeah, and but but yeah, you're right. They they did their best in making you think he's not evil. Yeah, and then in the second one, you have one that's not really evil, but he's not a good guy. In the third, he's in the third one, big. in the third one, you have a great guy. In the fourth one, you think, and you know, because the third one you had such a great guy. In the fourth one, you think you have a great guy, and he turns out to be the bad guy. Do in the uh, fifth one, you just have the devil herself. Um, oh gosh, yeah. And the, then the frog devil herself. And then in the sixth one, you just have uh, was it in the sixth one, Snape finally gets his way and becomes Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. Because it is known by a majority of the school that he uh, wants Snape that job. Always, yeah, Snape has always eyed the job of Defense Against the Dark Arts, even though repeatedly Dumbledore shot him down for it. Mm -hmm. And um, finally, I think the biggest, the last person we should really talk about would be, um, was it, would be th the parents themselves, James and Lily Potter. They are, so their story, and so I won't go into full detail just because it's one of those stories that is really ingrained into the books. Um, both James and Lily are the typical, oh, they were, you know, they were, they were the hero's family and they would have had given him the perfect life. They were great. Of course, we find out that uh, James in his earlier life was a douchebag, but like, but he wasn't, he wasn't like a 
bad guy. He was like, uh, he was like a typical kid, you know. He was. Oh like, yeah, sure. I wouldn't. I, Bully is a bit stronger he was than a, what he was. It was more or less he just he just. He was a kid. Yeah, yeah, just just a kid. Like if he saw someone funny looking, he'd probably make fun of him for being funny looking. Yeah, but he was a kid with wizard powers, which is the, most of the time. He was a kid with wizard powers, which was the, the worst combination in the world. But um, what is it? But then there's um, and then there's Lily, who honestly is the only one throughout the story, which pretty much is never really said to really have any flaws. She was perfect, but it's also great that she wasn't, you know, the main character or any of that. So it kept it still like, it made it a fresh breath of air because she was the only one that was like, oh, Lily was good. Did you just, did you just say fresh of breath air? Oh. He's <laughs> a, a breath of fresh air. Just a, just a nice fresh of breath air. She's a breath of fresh air. Sorry. Uh, ooh, is it hot in here or is it just me? Is it is it me in here or is it just hot? Um, <laughs> keep but keep yeah. doing that. We're on a fun podcast here. She was, uh, but yeah, so she was good. And we actually find out how, exactly how good she is. Because when Voldemort goes to kill Harry, she jumps sort of in front of her his wand and does something very peculiar, which we will not go over as I want you to read the story that yourself. So, um, we want you to put some work in. We're already putting a lot of work in. We are, exactly. And so, yeah, so that those were the uh, biggest characters you'll need to know about. One thing I would like to bring up are artifacts, because the artifacts are um, pretty interesting, especially um, just how... So enchanting is uh, really pushed up to the next level in Harry Potter. Like in most places, it's like, oh, cool, magical sword. Harry Potter, it takes on a whole new life of its own because it means so many different things. Like one could say that the wands are enchanted, but they're also semi alive. You know, the wand That's chooses the wizard. They all, they all very, they're all very reactive. Semi sentient. There it is. Yeah, they, they understand the wizard. They can choose alliances, loyalty, stuff like that. And then there's things like time turners, which can bend the fabric of time. There's little orbs that contain prophecies made by seers. It's, you know, the artifacts in the world are so amazing. Cause but then you have horcruxes. Horcruxes are... Like, Horcruxes are, it's, I'm trying to even think, it's not even described. There's nothing you can read that even describes the, I mean, you can read some theories, but there's no official saying of what the process to make a Horcrux even is. Much like, much like in, much like in the book, there is little to no information that anyone could find to understand a Horcrux. Yeah, the fact, the fact that Dumbledore, or Dumbledore, Voldemort found out even how to make a horcrux is a testament to his knowledge and power like you know and so um he very well may have just made his own way to make a horcrux rather than go go about any established method that may be of course we find out when he asks uh slughorn about it which is one of the uh potion teachers when he asks slughorn about it he already knows really about it. He's asking Slughorn what are the lasting effects, you know, what could essentially happen. You know, what's what's that what's the quick uh words that are exchanged at the end of a medicine commercial? Um 
So yeah. <laughs> Usually it's just a bunch of warnings. Of course, a lot make, of may, may cause obscene blood farts. Exactly. A lot of <laughs> I got to look if I keep that one in. <laughs> um a lot of people uh would say myself included would ask why he would make his horcruxes so obvious and why not like make a grain of rice and throw it in the bottom of the ocean because he does not need to go to his horcrux nor does he need to be near it in order for it to work it could be anywhere in the world as long as it stays intact he will stay living so and he's connected to it he knows where it is at all time so you think he'd get a grain of sand and throw it on a beach or something so like it's it really is sort of when oversight. you look at the when you look at the established horcruxes on air in the book you kind of find it find it as a trend of things that he's connecting that he has sentimental value with. i know that is i know that's the part i'm criticizing that yeah. is so stupid it's like let, what do you think a horcrux would be no 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 do you think that it should may... be this random spoon or oh, do you Mason. think it'll be this thing that's really tied to Voldemort's <laughs> intricate uh, side? Intricate. What I'm saying feelings. is, what if that's one of the requirements for a Horcrux? And it might be. Again, we don't know. And maybe that is the answer. I mean, it's really easy. It'd, for... it'd be the only logical answer because if this... he, if if it if it was just you know whatever the heck you found found it, then yeah, it was pretty stupid of Snape to make it stuff he had. This is the critique of uh, J.K. Rowling. It's easy to say that either of those things are true when you have when you can when you, the only thing you say about it is oh it's so evil it, but um it's so evil it's so evil but yeah so don't even talk about it. it's so evil yeah so that's one of the more darker artifacts one more artifact that we have to go over is brooms oh uh, yeah <laughs> we don't actually have to go over it too much because i um, i'm saying i but not just me you can buy a history of Quidditch, which actually goes over also the history of brooms. It's out in Barnes and Nobles, online, anywhere. Uh, we are not, not being sponsored by Barnes and yeah, This is not sponsored by the Wizarding World or Lumos or any of those organizations. We're not sponsored by anyone. Please sponsor us. Sponsor us. Sponsors JK. Um, <laughs> wait, sponsors JK Rowling. Not, not that I'm joking. <laughs> sponsor us. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, but um. But yeah, so broomsticks are integral. It's an integral part of a wizarding sport called Quidditch. Quidditch is um, basically mean, the basically the sports ball of uh, of yeah, the wizarding world. Pretty much, it's fun. It's the only sport that I would ever consider watching. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a great. It's Harry's favorite and actually best skill. It's Harry's favorite sport and best skill his quidditch prowess if he actually had like a you know a normal a normal childhood and a normal like school school life great. he probably would have he probably would have been a quidditch player it would have been great it could have been a contender exactly so yeah the artifacts make the world which is good that's a great part of world building um finally because it's quicker to talk about i've saved my favorite for last let's talk about the magic system the magic system in Harry Which Potter. Which I, I, I'm going to freely admit I know little to nothing about because it, it for me it's just, hey, say these words. Hey, this special thing happened. Magic. Can you, uh, are you really close up to your mic, Wyatt? Yeah. All right, can you back off a little? Oh, sorry. Thank you. Is this better? Yes. The magic system is, so 
most people, but I'll describe explain it for people who don't know. The uh, magic system is typically divided up into two sort of concepts, and then it's sort of uh, a standard of, you know, a realm between. So a soft magic system is one that is not really described well. It's sort of, it can sort of feel like a MacGuffin depending on it. It could be like, oh yes, at this current, uh, you know, it's like, um, it's like if you have a wizard character and you're going through like a, uh, you're going through like a dungeon or you're fighting like the big boss or no, you're going through like a dungeon and you're fighting gnomes or whatever and you're pulling fireballs and you're breaking, you know, and all that. And then you go up to a door and it's like, hey, why don't you use your magic to, you know, open the door? And he's like, oh, I, I can't do that. It's strange. You know, it's a strange and magical door or whatever. And then in the final fight between the big boss, you know, he's he's the one that enchanted the enchanted the door. So he has like a bunch of magic on himself and the wizard pulls out like, uh, uh you know, magical pocket sand or he does this great feat. <laughs> magical pocket sand, just pocket sand. sand. Yeah, exactly. It's just some great feat of magic. And then it's like, then it leaves you going, why didn't he? use that on the door or anything like that and you know or like even and the character might even say it if they're trying if the it's a funny uh movie and they'll just be like the mysteries of magic you know so that's typically what it is uh you know what a soft system is uh a lot of people have described lord of the rings as having a soft magic system which i would agree with it um yeah it does not it does not really describe the magic system which can be a boon sometimes it really depends on how you build the world and so because because you can you could actually like there's mystery to it but it's like logical mystery to it yeah and it also depends like for example in lord of the rings the way they set up magic it's more like an understanding which is typically how magic set up but it's like the characters themselves don't really have magic they would never say they did really it's sort of like uh the whole you know what you call magic i call or what we call magic you call science or vice versa but and that's so, a whole that's a, that's a, that's, a that's a different, different that's a whole different universe but um but yeah and so for example the hobbits are like one of the least magic podcast mason let's oh, get off of yeah, yeah you're right so well, I'm just saying, so it's a soft magic system. We'll talk about that later. It's a soft magic. There's a soft magic system. A hard magic system is one with very well-defined rules. Very um, quantified. Exactly. For example, I think this is, this will explain my knowledge of, uh, or betray my knowledge of anime, but I think Full Metal Alchemist, they have a very defined rule of, um, you know, of magic is sort of a give and take. You get the exact value of what you give. And that's Full Metal Alchemist. That would be an example of a very hard magic system because there's no really li- no liberties in it, no nothing. It follows these rules. Harry Potter uh, is very kind of in between, but I'd say leads more to hard magic system. The reasoning being, um, so most wizards, how it sets it up is number one, most wizards can't use magic without a wand now it's not impossible but it is you have to be powerful you have to have some level of power knowledge or great great skill because what wands actually are are sort of a siphon for your magic in fact it is said 
that anything could really be a siphon for magic. A tea kettle could be. So, you know, it really, you know, it, the wand itself isn't important. And so, um, and so we see throughout the thing and the book stays consistent with the magical, with, you know, that magic system. Cause for example, we see Harry a lot of times, um, you know, when he's, uh, was it separated from his wand, he'll try to summon his wand back to him, which he can do if he had, well, he can summon stuff easily if he had his wand. Well, we even, even before that, there was evidence of that with like, um, when he was in school and such, at, in like muggle school, I well, should say. They, well, they, they explained that and I'll, and we can go over that oh, in yeah. a second. But, um, you know, what it is, is that, uh, you know, Oh, by he, the way, like quick pause real quick. Yeah. Um, we're running out of time. Well, and shortly, I'm just trying to fill out a few things. I got you. I'm I'll just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just like, I was just like putting that out there. Don't worry. I'm staring at it. I got um, you. but yeah, he, uh, give it a break real quick. He, um, <laughs> Mason, you gotta edit this. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> but yeah, so it stays consistent with the magic system of he can't, uh, you know, he's not at the skill level to be able to call his wand back to him. You know, it's never like, oh, and then suddenly when he needs it most, his wand flies back to his hand because magic was just so strong that day. No, it, you know, he doesn't know it. It won't work. That's an example of a harder magic system, which is somewhat what I think makes it so good. Um, and then, of and of course, uh, I'm trying to think of another way. And of course, Dumbledore can easily do stuff like that because, you know, because he's got an extreme level of, uh, you know, skill of magic, proficiency yeah, of magic. I mean, with how Dumbledore is described as being like, you know, like, what, a thousand something years old? He's 150. I'm sorry. He is 150 years oh, old. And, uh, I'm so old. <laughs> I, I was thinking. I was thinking it was more like the the Methuselah type old, like yeah. at, at at like you know 500 years old. He's just he's just like a he's, middle aged man. Dang. He. I mean, still though, that's like that's something. But yeah, why was also what yo yeah. Uh -huh. Go on. Go on. Um. But what I'm saying is like you know, Dumbledore was a 150 year old man. Uh. What's his name? Harry Potter. Was a, like yeah. What's his name? What, what's that one obscure character? Like Potter or something? Harry Potter. <laughs> Harry Potter. Um, <laughs> it sounds like a really bad knockoff. Harry Potter. But uh, but um, uh, Dumbledore was a hundred and fifty year old man, and Harry Potter was nineteen. Of, there was going to be an obvious difference between their skill sets. Yeah, kind of some slack. Um, White also brushed talk uh, brushed up on something. So, when children, when wizarding children are born, they often, uh, when they kind of bloom into their powers, which can happen at a very young age, they often do just that. They bloom. Sometimes their magic, you know, will show itself or manifest itself in different things, and um. Now, normally, this would kind of break that hard magic system. It would be like, wait, what? So, you you know, they can just use... So, as you get, you know, they can use magic when they're young for what purpose or whatever. You know, it... But the way it is explained makes a lot of sense. Magic in and of itself is a raw sort of type of energy. It's why Obscurus exists. Or Obscuri, whatever you, it is. 
uh, the plural form of Asterisk. It's like platypus, platypi, cactus, cacti. Exactly. Uh, so it's those weird, weird eyes, which I don't say. The ooses and Isis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Isis. Um, but yeah. Harry Potter and Isis. The unlikely couple. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a. Um, you, just, like, you just like see Harry Potter like with the with the, with a turban on, just. Well, didn't um didn't Quirrell wear a turban? <laughs> he very well. He very well much did. All right. Uh, anyway, anyway, oh, I don't, don't want to go down that Harry path. Potter, Harry Potter myth Let's, unconfirmed. Why? I don't want to die. Let's not go down this path. Uh, sorry. <laughs> that in and of itself might have been jokes, a little offensive. Jokes, jokes, anyway, jokes. Anyway, all jokes. Yeah, all jokes. I love everybody. Wait, anyway. We all love everyone. Um, children are able to manifest magic just because they're not so much as able to control it as it just sort of happens. And so... As they get older and they get more in charge of their powers, that tends to happen less and less, which is why now it was, you know, it requires, whereas first it was raw energy just going, now it's more mature. And so now it typically gets called upon rather than just happens. And so it doesn't break the hard magic system. It just doesn't, it flows parallel to it. But um, it still would be considered by most standards a hard magic system because they're just certain stuff that you aren't able to do like i'm trying to think of a one good one. Oh, they even have certain laws like um i forget exactly the name of the of the one but the law is that you cannot some you cannot create food out of thin air you can't just create food but if you know where to find it you can conjure it up wherever you're at or you can you know pull it to you and so and you know what they keep to this law and for some reason they really love this law because they keep to it and talk about it throughout a lot of the books for some reason i especially in the deathly hollows which makes sense but i don't know they just really love talking about that law but yeah you can't just conjure food which you know that's a demonstration of just how hard the magic system is where and of course there are some liberties that are taken for example um flying it's established so first off in the first book uh hagrid you know when he comes to pick up uh harry he flies over he says he flies over the lake now the problem with this is that it is then later said that no wizard has ever in fact it's even said this in outside the harry potter books but in still canonical sources like um like quidditch through the ages book um let's see it said that no wizard has ever found a way to fly Maybe maybe it was just maybe it was just Hagrid like colloquializing like um what's it called the the basically the wizard version of teleport teleportation. It would be, but then wouldn't he just say I apparated? Yeah, apparated. I well Harry Potter would have no idea what apparition is. The I mean still though, Hagrid doesn't look like he uh puts that all into account. It's more obviously this doesn't say really say anything about Hagrid. It was the first book so she probably didn't think all that through about it it was still the first book was very much made to be a kid's book and she she may and she may very well have much been thinking like oh i'm probably just gonna put this one book out and not put it anymore out well yeah well because children's books typically didn't do well in those day and age 
but um mm. but yeah but then as it went on it was obvious you know flying can do a lot of MacGuffin work and she actually tried very well to keep the MacGuffins either hidden or not obvious you know not easily anticipated and so she made that rule which then made it um you know everyone followed that rule that you cannot it's you can't fly unaided and then she kind of made it to where Voldemort and his Death Eaters could do just that. But the reason well, that's why, true, they were just kind of floating around, weren't they? The reason why it's not made like um, why nobody really I mean, people still do because people are like that, but nobody really calls it out like, oh, he, um, you know, this breaks the hard magic system is because it's sort of played as um, as uh, as a part of Voldemort's just unworldly power and just, you know, great, you know, sort of his greatness and uh, things like that. But um, in all actuality, it does not really make that much sense, all things considered with the magic system. And it does kind of lessen the effect. So sort of what the magic system becomes is, well, yeah, most things can't happen unless you're really powerful. Then they can't happen. Then you can do anything. You can do anything with a lot of power. Yeah, that's pretty much that's pretty <laughs> that's much the, moral the magic. Of the that's the moral of the story with um with uh, Harry Potter is yeah. you can do anything if you have enough power. Well, yeah. So pretty much the magic system is with enough power anything can be done, and so yeah. So to end this off on a note, um, Harry Potter again is very good. I know we pretty much spoiled a lot of plot points. But it is still worth, if you haven't already read it, it's still worth reading. And if you have already read it, it's worth rereading. Because we've left out a lot of information. A lot of characters, a lot of information. It is all very, very good. And I'd even say Fantastic Beasts, though. A lot of people might not like it. it is a great, it is probably my favorite Wizarding World movie. Harry Potter, but if, the if, books if we were like. Favorite. But if we were to like, just like go over like every little deep, every little like interesting detail about the Harry Potter universe, we'd ends. be here for, we, yeah, we'd be here for hours. So yeah, so if you want uh, more explanations about things or more explanations on it, then let us know in the comments uh, or in email if this is only on Spotify, which it won't be. But if you have any interesting ideas or any interesting um, fiction, worlds you want us to take a look at yeah. we'll definitely we'll definitely uh consider it we'll definitely try to do it and don't worry in the coming uh podcast we will talk about uh more um we'll go more in depth with these things because we'll try to make different parts we'll try to dedicate months to them because this will come out weekly so we'll dedicate a month to uh each fictional world to try to get a more in-depth look at it today was sort of just as a first episode it was sort of just a uh uh sort of just around the ball you know uh i'm trying to really think of the word a general glance it was more of just a general look at what makes this world so enticing to um to you know readers and onlookers and stuff like that to viewers and so but don't worry in coming videos we will go a lot more in depth uh, to finally to end this off, I want to hear why. What is your favorite thing about the Harry Potter books or the Wizarding World in general? Dobby. Dobby is great. And again, for all of you who are at home, like you didn't go over Dobby. 
Uh, that's because Do- that's because we're we're saving an entire podcast. Exactly. Well, no one we can't do Dobby justice in this uh, in this single episode. So it's better Absolutely. to read about Dobby. He's this is more or less separate. just context for Dobby, not exactly. not the not the podcast for Dobby himself. This will this is actually we might call this the Dobby cast. <laughs> this is the Dobby cast. It's just a prequel. And this this one specific episode is just a prequel to all the, 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 the very lengthy series that we're going to be doing on Dobby. Dobby, an in-depth look at Dobby. Um, my, favorite, uh, my favorite thing is probably of the Wizarding World in general. And it's it's got to be the wand lore. Wands are just so interesting. I always love enchanted things because it's always like, especially with ones that are said to be semi-sentient because it's always just so, it, it, it's one of those things that kind of break the hard magic system because I'm a fan of softer magic systems. I like it soft, but um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, wands are probably my favorite thing about it, but not as great as Dobby. All right. So, not as, no, 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 rarely. No, no, I wouldn't even say rarely. Just nothing, nothing can compare to Dobby. Yeah. So, this has been uh, Chilled Sages. That's right. Chilled Sages. Not like the uh, T, but pretty close to it. Uh, I have been it's your host. Close. Yeah. I have been your host, Mason, aka Mace Chill. Your co host, Wide Ross. And we will see you next time. Next time. Well, that was a good video, right? I hope so. Anyway, if you liked it, well, then you know what they say. Like, comment, and subscribe. Uh, Click on any one of the cards on the screen to either subscribe or, if you've already done that, click on to see another video. I'm pretty sure in that little eye circle, don't exactly know what it's called, you'll find more videos, probably a playlist of sorts. And until next time, I've been your host. Chill out.